0: Great. All right. Well, today we are continuing along, like I said, in 1 Samuel. I was going through some different notes of mine and um, clearing space on my computer that was running out of space. And I found, I forget what month it was, in 2017... In 2017, I was doing a, a book a month. And there's one month in 2017 that I preached on 1 Samuel. So I'm sorry that you have to hear all this over again. But as soon as I saw that, I was like, wow. I did 1 Samuel in four Sundays. And now we're doing it in like 40 Sundays. It's a little different. But it just goes to show you get... You always get something new out of God's word. The Holy Spirit is always trying to trying to help you and to guide you and to lead you. And to some extent, the slower you read your Bible, the better. because um, the, stuff, the stuff that we're going to talk about in First Samuel 10, there's no, way, there's no way I talked about this last time because <laughs> if we were blowing through it so fast. So last week. We knew that Saul was going to be king, and he was kind of already anointed to be king. And it was kind of weird, right? His father's donkeys were on the loose. He goes all over the place, super tall, super handsome, super rich guy, going through the countryside, have you seen a herd of donkeys? Have you seen a herd? I should have looked up what you call a herd of donkeys. I'm assuming it's a herd. Might be something weird. Have you seen these? And everybody's, no, no, no. We didn't. No, we haven't seen. Them. No, we haven't seen. Them. They go consult with this man of God that they found. It's really, uh, there's one commentary I was reading and they were talking about how many, word, how many times the word found shows up in 1 Samuel 9 and 10, that there's something that the Hebrew writers were doing. There's some kind of a joke that they're playing that has to do with seeking and finding. But nobody knows what the joke is. But it's just, there's got to be something going on, and, uh, and I'm not going to act like I decrypted it or discovered it or anything, but, but it's really interesting that as they were writing this specific passage of Saul becoming king, that they would use the word found or didn't find so many times. And so, right at the end of 1 Samuel... Now, remember all these numbers weren't in there? These numbers were all added later? So, at the end of 1 Samuel 9... Like 9.27, as they were going down from the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. When he passes on, stop here for yourself, so I may make known to you the word of God. So he says, tell your servant to go on, and i got something to tell you from God. Now Samuel, remember, everybody trusted Samuel. They didn't trust his kids, but they trusted him. He had been speaking the word of God since he was little. He would go on his yearly circuit through all these different towns to judge Israel, and everybody listened to him. So he knows that what Samuel's going to say is true, and he's like, This is the real deal. But now they also know the night before they came into the town. And they said, Samuel said, we prepared this big old sacrifice. All the people of the town are here, and you are the guest of honor. What? He didn't even know he was going to that city. And here he is, the guest of honor. Um, I've seen this played out personally in cultures where where you sit at the table is super important. And I, I came in to this big party. And all these old men are sitting around and the more white hair you have and the bigger your white beard, the more honorable you are. And so they're all up by the head of the table. But I was a foreigner. Ha, ha, ha. So I came in and they were like, whoa, a foreigner. Come sit right. Oh uh, No, I sat. I, I just came in and I sat down. I did what Jesus told. Just exactly the way Jesus said to do it. Sat down, sitting there eating. They're all sitting around there talking, and I said something, and I guess my accent stuck out or my voice stuck out, and they noticed me. <gasps> A foreigner is here, and you're sitting at the bottom of the table. Come, get up here. Every single guy gets up. You grab your teacup. That's the only thing that sticks with you. Your plate. Your everything else stays where it is. Pick up your teacup. All like 15 guys all get up, and they all scoot down, and I walk past all of them, and I'm excuse me, part oh, get through, get okay, get, and then I sit right down next to the guest. They're the the host. So that's what it was like for Saul. He sat right down at the the right next to Samuel. So they know it's some kind of big feast. Later on, a dude with a really big white beard came in. We all had to get up and he sat next to me and I was bumped down. The newness of being a foreigner had worn off pretty quick. So So Saul knows something is going on. Saul's servant is going to know that something is going on. So he goes, go on ahead. Then Samuel... This is, just, this is 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? You will reign over the people of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies He has just anointed him king of Israel. Now the servant has gone on ahead. The servant doesn't see this happening. This oil was not normal cooking oil. This was oil that was designated for um, religious anointing. And so this would be oil used if he may have had it with him because of the sacrifice and the dinner they had the night before that he was going to consecrate some things with that oil. It smelled very distinct and under true Levitical law, you weren't, women were not allowed to make a perfume that smelled like this anointing oil. So the only thing that smelled like this anointing oil was this anointing oil. It was a a one-of-a-kind, only-thing smell, okay? And Saul gets it dumped all over his head. The man of God kisses him and says, You are now the king of Israel. That was unexpected. In in all of his wildest dreams, Saul could not have thought, I wonder if he's going to anoint me. I mean... He's probably thinking something like, you're going to be blessed and you're going to inherit all this land and your dad is just going to leave you all kinds of money, right? That was typically the kind of thing that a prophet would say, you know, do right. Don't, you know, some instruction, but instead he's made prince king. And here's the sign. If you think I'm just crazy man of God, here's the sign that's going to happen. When you leave me today, you're going to meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they are going to say to you, the donkeys that you were looking for have been found. And now your dad's worried about you. Because everybody in the whole region knows what's going on with these silly donkeys, right? And so your dad is saying this, then you're going to go on from there. And at the Oak of Tabor, which would be like a known landmark, like if I said at the intersection of St. Joe and the Lloyd, if I said at Mead Johnson, you all know where that is, right? When he says the Oak of Tabor, everybody knows where that is. Three men are going to come up to you, and uh, they're going to go up to you. They've been worshiping. They're on their way to worship. And one of them is going to have three goats, another is going to have three loaves of bread, and another is going to have a big skin of wine. So these guys are on their way to make a sacrifice, because they're going to sacrifice those goats, eat the bread, drink the wine. They're going to greet you, and they're going to give you two of the loaves of their bread, and you'll take them. After that, look is isn't this crazy how specific this is? This is almost like Gideon's fleece kind of business. You're going to run into these two guys. They're going to say this. You're going to run into these three guys at this spot. They're going to have this and this and this. And one of them is going to give you two loaves of bread. And then you're going to go on from there. You're going to go to Gibeah Elohim. And there's a garrison of the Philistines there, but you're not going to do anything with them. But there's going to be a group of prophets coming out of the city. And because they've just done a sacrifice. And they're going to be prophesying. With a harp and a tambourine and a flute and a lyre. Which is like a guitar. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And you will prophesy with them. And be turned into another man. Some translations say you will be given a new heart. Basically he's saying... These prophets are going to come. They're going to be singing. And the Lord is going to come upon you and change you from the inside out. He's going to make your desires and your goals and your your wants a completely different thing. He's going to bring you into unity with his will. Isn't that exciting? He's going to transform you. You're going to prophesy with them. Now, when these signs meet you, do whatever your hand finds to do. So, all this stuff is going to happen to you. And after that happens, don't be scared. Do whatever you think is right to do. You don't, there's no like, okay, now I have to do this, now I have to do this, now I have to do this. From that point on, you just do what you understand to be the right thing to do. Because God is with you. Now, we're reading all of this on this side of the cross and on this side of Pentecost, on this side of the Holy Spirit living among us, giving us a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone and guiding us so much that our our culture... I mean, we celebrate Easter, right? Our culture is so full of it. For them to say that God will be with you was a really big deal. Because remember, these guys are going up with their three goats and their three loaves of bread and their skin of wine to a place because they have to go to that place to meet with God. And when they met with Samuel, they said, Saul's servant said, there's a man of God in a nearby city that we can go ask and he'll tell us stuff from God. So the whole notion of from that point on, God will be with you is a really big deal. That is, that's powerful. Then go down before me to Gilgal and listen, I'm going to come down and I'll come down and I'll meet you at Gilgal and we're going to offer burnt sacrifices and burnt offerings and peace offerings. Wait for me for seven days. And then I'll come and I'll show you what to do. So he says, All this stuff is going to happen. You're all going to go back, do whatever. But then, seven days later, meet me at Gilgal and wait for me. And I'll tell you what to do. So, even though Saul has just become king and he rules over Israel, who's his boss? Oh, Samuel. Samuel is still the guy in charge because God is still the real king. Isn't that great? It's like you've been made king, you have power over everything. So listen, don't do this until I tell you to. Well, who I thought I was king. Yeah, I'm a prophet. This is Israel we're talking about. So he goes. And it says in verse 9, When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. All these signs came to pass that day. They came, they saw the prophets, the Spirit of God rushed upon him, he prophesied among them. And it it all played out exactly like he said. What's fun is this little commentary that happens in here, is that when Saul starts prophesying, people saw Saul prophesying and they were like what in the world is Saul a prophet now the dude's handsome he's tall he's rich and now he's a prophet and they're all the rumor mill is starting like oh my gosh it's like um, I've, met, I've met some guys that were in some pretty rough groups and then they came to the Lord and the other people that were in their old groups were like so and so got religion so-and-so got religious. And they're all talking about, whoa, I can't believe, whoa, he, that guy. Um, I have friends that were known as the heaviest drinkers in their fraternity house. And when they went around and told guys that they were Christians now and that they were following Jesus, people really paid attention to them because it was like, if you got saved, anybody can get saved. Because, dude, I saw what you did. That's how they're reacting to Saul. Saul is even one of the prophets now? What? Um, and they, that's what all this commentary is. What came over the son of Kish? So that became a proverb. Is Saul among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. So it became a proverb. You know how like um, something funny happens and you say, well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. Or, well, for crying out loud, you know, when you say some statement like that, It became, it was so weird and so amazing for Saul to become a prophet that it was just a saying in that region Hey, is Saul one of the prophets? Right? We're going to have church outside tomorrow. You're going to have church outside tomorrow? Are you crazy? Is Saul among the prophets? Is the Pope a Catholic? Right? It's that same kind of a saying. It was so shocking that Saul became a prophet. So I say all that to just really grasp. Not only is Saul gone all over the countryside, that everybody knows that he's looking for his lost donkeys. Everybody knows how handsome he is. Everybody knows how tall he is. Everybody knows how rich he is. And now everybody knows that he's also prophesied. If he was on Twitter, he would be trending like the whole week. Everybody would be Saul, 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 Saul. So they get home, Saul and his servant, and they run into Saul's uncle. Now remember, his uncle is going to be the brother to his dad, and it was all his dad's donkeys that they lost. So probably his uncle shares in some of that wealth right? They're all, I mean, their houses would all be connected. They'd all be like on the same plot of land kind of thing. Saul's uncle, where'd you go? Where, where have you been, man? To find the donkeys. And when we saw they weren't found, we went to Samuel. So Saul's uncle knows about Samuel. Everybody knows about Samuel. Oh, tell me what's. please tell me what Samuel said to you. He wants to know, because he knows whatever Samuel said is from the Lord. Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly, the donkeys had been found. That was all. That's all he says. When they finished, uh, let's see. Uh, But the other matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he didn't tell them anything. So it's a secret. So you've got this guy... Here, let me tell you a story. You've got a guy that's anointed by God to become king. But the only people that know that he's been anointed to become king is the guy. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Saul. No, I'm talking about David. Remember how David, we aren't going to sit down until he comes, he comes into the door. Samuel anoints David king. What about Jesus? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He is anointed. He is baptized in the river for all righteousness by John the Baptist. He comes up. He is the son of God. Who knows about it? Not many people, right? It's a secret. So Saul knows. But wait a minute. Do you remember the anointing oil that would only be made to smell that's the only kind? You think the whole time Saul's servant is traveling back with him, he's smelling that? He's like, dude, you got anointed. I know that, I know that man of God did something because you stink like oil. Your hair is soaked, bro. He poured a bottle of oil on his head. I mean, Levi and I were working on a gas gas tiller yesterday and my hands still smell like gasoline. Oil is worse. He comes home and he sees his uncle. His uncle's like, I can't do it with the mask on. So what does Samuel tell you? Because you're all oily. And you smell like the only thing I smell about once every seven years. So there are some hints of what is going on, but it's not disclosed, it's not shown. So Samuel gets everybody together, Samuel sends out word, gather all the tribes together. Come on everybody, every tribe has to be represented at Mizpah. Now they've been moaning and groaning and griping for a king for forever, right? And Samuel has been like, oh, you're rejecting God. And God's like, they're rejecting me. They're not rejecting you. Don't feel bad. Go ahead and give him a king. So everybody knows why Samuel is, Samuel is either gathering, there's two reasons. He's either going to yell at us for giving us a king, yell at us for wanting a king, or he's going to give us a king. I mean, that's. That's where we are now. The the argument for a king has gone on for so long, it's either going to end with no king ever, forget it, or behold, Israel, here's your king. So would you be excited about going on that trip? (gasps) Samuel is calling all the tribes together. (gasps) So they all come. They gather. Samuel gets up and he shakes his finger at him. You good for nothing, this says the Lord, the God of Israel. I brought Israel out of Egypt. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of the kingdoms. You know, kingdoms are bad, right? I freed you from all these kingdoms. But today you've rejected your God who saves you, and you want your own kingdom. You want a kingdom. He just lays into him. He's given them this one last chance. I think right at this moment, the people of Israel could have torn their shirts and said, we are sorry. We have denied you, God. You're our king. And it would have all gone back to the time of the judges. They did not take that. Set a king over us. And so now present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So we need a representative of every tribe to come forward. Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel and they they cast a lot. And we don't know what this means specifically. It's basically like drawing straws. It's like throwing dice. It's some sort of object and whatever the object ends up being, we're gonna do what it says. Does that make sense? There's a couple places in the Bible where they do that, and it's not—it's um, not shown in a bad light, which is kind of funny, kind of an interesting thing. You got to—you got to recognize the power isn't in the thing, right? I think that's where—I think that's where people and their idolatry go off course. Is, I need my—you know—I need my lucky penny. Well penny doesn't have any power in it. It's a piece of metal that got stamped into a shape. But there are some times here where they're like, okay, we're going to randomly pick, but we know God is going to guide the random pick. And the random pick goes to Benjamin and its clans. So then they have all the clans of Benjamin line up and they pick one of those and it goes and they you know, every grouping they have, they get smaller and smaller. There's one... I was reading one commentary. And it gives one sentence. And it was like, oh! As soon as the tribe of Benjamin was picked, there's a whole group of people that knew that this king of Israel that was about to be picked could not stay king for long. Because Jacob, when he blessed his sons... He gave the kingdom to Judah. And he told Judah, from you a king will come that will rule his people forever. And so as soon as Benjamin gets picked, all of the Judah folks that showed up knowing that one of them is going to be king, they're all like, oh, oh, this isn't going to last long. This is not going to be an everlasting kingdom because the everlasting king comes from us and you're Benjamin. Oh, so we don't know. We don't know how that happened. We don't know if that played out, if anybody caught that. We don't know. I didn't catch it until I read it in the comment. Narrow, 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 narrow. Gets all the way down to the family of Kish. They draw and Saul is chosen by lot, by random number, random, to be king of Israel. This is so perfect how the Lord works. Because if Saul would have come back from looking for those donkeys and been like, Behold, Israel, I'm your king. I'm ruling over all of you now. Your land belongs to me. Pay me taxes. They would have just killed him. Right? (laughs) There would have been a rebellion. They would have been, who is this guy? I mean, just because you're handsome, rich, and now you're apparently one of the prophets, and you're super tall, that's not why we're going to make you king. But God knew he had to do something to show all these other tribes through this process that Saul was king. And so he does it. And they're all happy, and they bring Saul up, and Saul's like, Yay, I'm king! No, that's totally not how it happened at all. They're all like, they're drawing, you know, drawing straws or whatever they're doing. (gasps) It's Saul! They get excited, and they can't find Saul anywhere. Saul, through this whole process of narrowing down, narrowing down, somehow he has slipped away. When they sought him, he could not be found. This is verse 22. So they asked again of the Lord. Is, God, you said Saul was the king, but we can't find him. I, I love this whole, like as vague as casting lots and throwing dice or flipping coins is, they asked God this very specific question. Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, go look, he's hidden himself among all the luggage. Then they ran, and they took him from there, and they found him. So Saul is hiding. So again, just think about the reality of this. Samuel calls all the people from every tribe to this big mountain, valley, huge area. They all come. They're coming days and days of travel. This is why he said, "Meet me after seven days, you'll meet me at this place. They've got caravans, they've got animals, they've got food, they've got s- supplies. And everybody comes out to see who is the king. And Saul is hiding among all the junk. He's out packing the U-Haul. So some there's all kinds of different opinions on this. And theologians and historians argue about why is he doing this, why is he doing that. And I don't, I don't want to plumb into the two of that too much. But I think it's a picture. Because you have a guy. I'm talking vague again. You know why i talk vague. You have a guy who's made to be king. But if he announces that he's king, everyone will rebel against him. And so instead of announcing that he's king... He goes among the most common and plain things to be among the most common and plain things, so that the only people that will find him are the people that seek after him and look for him among the common and the plain things. That's Jesus. That is such a picture of Jesus. Crowned in glory. Risen from the dead in splendor after Easter only appeared to people that believed in him before he died. Except for Paul. Paul's the only person in scripture that Jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead that didn't believe in him before he died. And so here's Saul, king of Israel knows he's king, has the full authority of a king from God, doesn't have the authority from the people, and so he hides. And he hides among the most plain, common, ordinary things. I think right now, I mean, here we are, guys. Jesus is king, and where is he living? He's hiding among the ordinary things. Jesus is Jesus is in the ordinary people he's not I mean he might be some but among rock stars he's not in the famous and the wealthy and the and the powerful Jesus is uh, you look at the the spread of the gospel the gospel is spreading across Asia um, among the poorest stretches of Asia faster than ever before the gospel is spreading in post-soviet, The Soviet Union states like crazy. The underground church in China is making training videos to teach Christians how to be secret underground Christians and distributing those videos into Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan and Tajikistan and Iran so that the church there can know how to be a secret underground church. Isn't that awesome? And then what happens? Then there's the declaration. Everybody come and see Jesus is king. And that's the end of the world. At some point in the future, everybody, everybody, everybody's going to raise from the dead. This is the the flat earth people love this part. Everybody's going to be able to look at Jesus. I don't know how that's going to work with the spear everybody's going to look. Everybody's going to see. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that's this part where Samuel brings Saul out and he's like, this is the king. And now all of Israel knows it. And all the people shouted... Long live the king. They are so excited. We got the king that we wanted. And look at how handsome he is. And look at how rich he is. And look at how tall he is. And he's even a prophet. Wah! They're hyped. Samuel told the duty the people, here's how the king's going to be. He rereads everything from Deuteronomy 17. We talked about that last week. He puts that, it's like a pocket guide. It's like the cliff notes to being a king. And he gives that to Saul. It's, they all go back to their homes. Some men with valor, whose hearts God had touched, went back with Saul. So now there's these guys that are so zealous for God, and they want God to give us a king. And now I'm just I'm going to serve that king now. You know, I might have been a, a a goat farmer, but now I'm going to go serve the king. There's this whole group of guys that left, and they went men of valor with whose hearts God has touched. And of course, there's going to be some dissenters, some worthless fellows, it says. How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. That's what they didn't give him any presents. But he didn't say anything. So there it is. God's first king. The first king of Israel. Every, when you read the scriptures, whenever something happens for the first time look at it over really really close the first time um, it mentions marriage with Adam and Eve you look at that and it's a model per, for perfect marriage all the way through the first time God makes a king that is the perfect model this is exactly how it's going to be when Jesus is right now Jesus is hiding among the among the normal stuff right but he's going to be revealed and 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 people who's got People whose hearts have been touched by God are going to go with him. Just like it says, men of valor. Anyway, it's exciting and it's exhausting. But it's a good exhausting because it's so exciting. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Lord, it's so awesome how you work by your Holy Spirit to get a collection of writings together over the course of 3,000 years that would all match up and fit and point to your glory and be 100% relevant for us 2,000 years later. You're so good, Lord. God, help us to seek you and to find you among the normal stuff, among looking for lost donkeys, to see you hiding amongst the baggage and just the normal things, that you are right there and you are already king. Whether we recognize you, whether anybody in the world recognizes you, you're already king. And we praise you and we worship you and we want you to touch our hearts. We want to be those people of valor that follow you and commit our lives to you. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right.